When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, Christmas Day edition. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Doug Lamarie's doing it by myself today. Uh, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and I all had kind of different Christmas things going on, so we uh, were trying to have a little bit of a Christmas spirit out here in Arizona and couldn't find a great time for all three of us to hook up, so it's just going to be me. I'm going to get through about half-hour questions from you guys. Our loyal tech subscribers, um, had in, my family is here with me, so I know we've gotten some nice messages from people um, saying thanks to, to everybody out here who's, you know, being uh, away from home on Christmas to do this. Listen, it's not, it's, we're at a great hotel. We, we're lucky to be here. Um, and uh, my kids are getting older. Uh, my daughter um, came with my wife in 2006. My first bowl game out here was in 2005. My first year covering Ohio State was 2005. They played Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl out here. The last year they played the game at uh, Sun Devil Stadium before they built the new place out here in Arizona. So it was so nice out here. I said, uh, Ohio State ever goes back there. Um, my family's got to come. And then it turns out Ohio State lives out here in bowl season. So my wife and my daughter came in 2006 for the national championship game with Florida. Uh, my daughter was like two and a half then. And my wife was pregnant with my second daughter. And now that means I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old out here with me with my wife um, for the holidays, uh, experiencing this in Arizona before everybody goes off to college and forgets they have parents. So um, thanks to you guys uh, so much for following along all year. We're going to get to your questions. Uh, we really are grateful for, for allowing us to be part of your uh, Ohio State fandom. Um, and I just wanted to say something real quick because it's on our minds out here at the Fiesta Bowl and it's on the minds of everybody in college football. Um, Ed Ashoff, uh, who was a reporter for ESPN, passed away uh, on December 24th on his 34th birthday. birthday. Um, I did not know Ed. Uh, I know a lot of people who cover college football, who were very good friends with him. Uh, he was in Columbus this year. He's one of Ohio State's college football reporters. He had been on their SEC blog uh, when they had the blog network, you know, eight, ten years ago. And then he had moved up into writing and also uh, on-air stuff for the TV. Um, and he had been around the Buckeyes a little bit this year. He was there, I think, after the Chase Young suspension. Uh, when Chase was coming back after that, I remember him asking questions, I think, leading into Penn State. Uh, and then I know just from looking at his social media that he uh, was looking forward to finally getting to cover Ohio State, Michigan. And he was ESPN's guy at the Ohio State, Michigan game this year. Was on the scene, did post-game interviews. Uh, this little room behind uh, the main news conference, I was back there. A couple people were back there. He's back there interviewing Justin Fields and Ryan Day. Um, 
And Ed got pneumonia, and he passed away uh, on December 24th at the age of 34. So it is a, a true tragedy. Um, sometimes I think... Uh, Death is a part of life, and we all know that. And sometimes um, when someone who has lived a long, uh, full life passes away and people say what a tragic loss it is, I, sometimes I shake my head and say, you know what, well, our, the time comes for all of us. And nobody can be uh, – if you live a, a full, long life, obviously it's tough on your loved ones, but you've had your chance here in this world to do what you want to do. And, and Ed didn't get that. At age 34, he didn't get that. And uh, I know Adam Rittenberg, who has been on this podcast before, who's a great Big Ten writer, great national writer for ESPN, was very close with Ed. A lot of people like that, very close with Ed. So, um, you know, through this podcast and this, this experience, it, it really, I think, has connected me uh, to the people who, who follow Ohio State on a much uh, deeper level. And I know when you're somebody like Ed who's on, on your TV and has out covered the biggest stories in college football, uh, people feel a connection to somebody like that. And for him to have, have died at age 34 uh, in this way is just, uh, is just an unbelievable tragedy. And um, so that's what's on our minds and in our hearts out here at the Fiesta Bowl. I didn't want to bring you guys down, but if you had seen him uh, covering the Buckeyes uh, just in the last month, just in the last month, it's less than a month ago that he was at Ohio State, Michigan, and, and now he's not with us anymore. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, Boy, and just really uh, for for all the people out there in the college football world who who certainly knew him much 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 better than me, uh, our hearts and our prayers and our thoughts with them, and obviously with Ed's family. So, um, thought that needed to be said. And now we'll get into your questions. Lots to talk about. We did a podcast, Stephen, Nathan, and I, on the twenty fourth. We'll be back on the twenty sixth. We're going to have interviews in the morning, full team media thing. I just looked at the setup in here. They have like a whole big ballroom with like the six best players at each team have big tables, elevated tables. The head coach has an elevated table. They have like the, all the assistants, all ten assistants, lined up at one table, and then there just are long conference tables with just. Seat, 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 like 20 players, groups of 20 players at a time. So there's going to be like 105 players and 10 coaches in there in one room for 45 minutes for each team on Thursday. And that's what we get to do. We get to run around and try to talk to anybody we want to, which is a rare treat for us. And so we've got to figure out who we do want to talk to, both for right now, stories about this game, and for down the line. But one thing I wanted to get into, we're going to go about half an hour here. We have the questions from the tech subscribers we asked for the other day. We'll ask for some more on the 26th after we get out of those interviews. Um, but somebody, the 937, asked a bunch of good questions and said, which team has the better overall coaching staff, which will make the better adjustments? And so I don't pretend to know anything about anything other than Ohio State football. But this is the third time I've covered Clemson in a bowl game. And three years ago, I was laughing about this. I asked a lot of questions about Deshaun Watson because I was writing a lot of stories about whether Deshaun Watson might be the answer for the Cleveland Browns. It turned out it probably would have been probably a pretty good answer. I came away from that Fiesta Bowl three years ago, not just after watching Deshaun Watson, but talking to his coaches and teammates about him, like totally on the Deshaun Watson bandwagon. Really liked that guy. But I, I talked to a lot of the assistants back then for this. And so I think Clemson has a tremendous coaching staff. And so I would give the edge to Clemson. And that is not a shot at Greg Madison and Jeff Hatley. And it's not a shot at Mike Yersich and Kevin Wilson. Um, and it's certainly not a, not a shot at Ryan Day. But I want to explain this to kind of in Ohio State terms. And, and I'm going to write a story about this. I talked to Brent Venables again. I've talked to him at every bowl game because he's been Clemson's defensive coordinator since 2012. He could have left a million times. And he hasn't. He makes more than $2 million a year. But imagine if Jeff Halfley, as good as Jeff Halfley was this year, right? 
Imagine if Jeff Halfley stayed at Ohio State for a decade and he turned down Boston College and he turned down better jobs at Boston College to stay. And as much as I rail against assistant coaches not being worth the money, a select few can be. And if you have to pay Brent Venables $2 bucks a year, he is a foundational piece of what Clemson does. He is tremendous. It would be like if Luke Fickle stuck around and wasn't just a co-defensive coordinator but was absolutely the leader of this defense for a, almost a decade. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. His eighth year, Brent Venables, as he came from Oklahoma – He's a Big 12 guy, played at Kansas State, came to Clemson from Oklahoma, and they've kept him. That is a huge advantage for them. As good as Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley done, have done in reshaping this defense this year, Brent Venables reshaped Clemson's defense eight years ago and now has kept it like this this whole time. And so I do think Clemson's defense is down this year. He said as much. I talked to Brent for a while on Tuesday. He said as much. Defense, Clemson's defense is down a little bit. They're kind of caught in a little bit of a lull between last year's defensive line with all those NFL guys and what they think is going to be a really good defensive line next year. All their defensive linemen from this year are going to be back. But right now they're young. I think that's an edge for Ohio State. We talked about that in the podcast from Tuesday that I think 2019 Clemson is a lot like what 2020 Ohio State might be like, a young defense. But Brent Venables is holding that defense together. He mixes up stuff with their fronts. He offers different looks. They do play press man. He's kind of devoted to that. He also believes you have to give some different looks. I think Justin Fields has a shot to do some stuff against this defense. But I think the reason that Clemson, with with young talent, with not a lot of veteran talent, certainly, they don't have a Chase Young. They don't have a Jeff Okuda. They don't have a Malik Harrison. When you have three upperclassmen like that that Ohio State's defense has, that's a luxury that Clemson doesn't have this year. Brent Venables holds that together. So as much, I think that's a great matchup, Brent Venables versus Ryan Day, because Ryan Day has never gone against him. And I, well, that leads me into the next question about this. And on the offensive side of the ball, imagine if Ed Warner and Tim Beck had taken over for Tom Herman as Ohio State's co-offensive coordinators, and they were awesome. That's exactly what happened at Clemson. In 2013, when Ohio State and Clemson played in the Orange Bowl, I did a big story about all these high-priced assistant coaches. Chad Morris was Clemson's offensive coordinator at that time. He was the hottest offensive coordinator in college football. He was making more than a million bucks. Tom Herman was not making that at that point. Ohio State had not yet reached the threshold where they were going to pay a million bucks a coordinator like they did. Did Then did reach that threshold with Greg Schiano and Ryan Day. Chad Morris was their coordinator in 12, 13, and then 14 also. He left after 14. And when he left, Dabo Sweeney promoted his running backs coach, Tony Elliott, and his receivers coach, Jeff Scott, to be the co-offensive coordinators. Just like when Tom Herman left after 2014, Tom Herman and Chad Morris were on very similar paths. Chad Morris went from Clemson to SMU. Chad Herman went from, excuse me, Tom Herman went from Ohio State to Houston. Tom Herman then went from Houston to Texas. Chad Morris went from SMU to Arkansas. Chad Morris has already been fired at Arkansas. His head coaching career did not go very well. And Tom Herman's having some trouble in Texas. Not going great there either. But they were great coordinators, and Ohio State could not replace Herman right away, and Clemson could. And that is a huge part, a huge part of why Clemson has been able to continue this success without a bump after losing a million-dollar coordinator. Tony Elliott is unbelievable. I love that guy. Really good coach. He's the primary play caller, and Jeff Scott is the co-offensive coordinator, and he's going to leave to be the South Florida head coach after this season. So they're kind of dealing with the same thing that Ohio State has with Jeff Halfley, which is a big-time important assistant who's going to be a head coach somewhere. 
But ever since Chad Morris left, so this is 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, this is the fifth year of Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott operating as co-offensive coordinators for this, uh, this Clemson offense. And I talked to Tony Elliott about this. I remember very specifically three years ago, we talked about how much they put on Deshaun Watson, how much that he had grown into the role as a quarterback and how much they allowed him to call protections, to call plays, to, to do everything that needed to be done at the line of scrimmage because they totally believed in him. They gave Deshaun Watson the offense. Tony Elliott said, Trevor Lawrence, they've given him more this year than they did last year. He can call some of the protections and that kind of thing. They're not giving him total freedom at the line to audible. Trevor Lawrence is not where Deshaun Watson was as a, as a third-year guy. Trevor Lawrence is only a second-year guy. He'll probably get there next year. He's not there now. But Tony Elliott, I think, has a really good understanding of how to develop quarterbacks, of how to work with quarterbacks, of how to make them feel comfortable, how to make them feel empowered, how to call a really good game with what they do. They're really balanced with their passing game and their run game with Travis Etienne. I have a lot of respect for the Clemson assistant coaches, and that allows Dabo Sweeney to be the, the CEO and the motivator, and he's not locked in to the down-to-down play calling on either side of the ball. And I think, you know, Urban Meyer kind of reluctantly reached that point to some degree. Uh, you know, by, the, by last year, he had given up more control of the offense than he ever had in his whole life. He gave that up to Ryan Day. It was driving him nuts a little bit. I don't think it drives Dabo nuts. And I think if you can get there, if you can establish a culture and a philosophy and a scheme and a way that you're going to do things, and then you find people you trust to implement your scheme, I think that, that in the end is the best way to do it. You find people you trust to call your plays. I don't need to call the plays because I know the plays that I want to be called are going to be called by someone else. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ohio State's not there yet. They're not there yet. Not in Ryan Day's first year. The Browns have had trouble with that, obviously, with Freddie Kitchens. Clemson's there. Clemson's there. Dabo does not have to do it down to down, minute to minute. Ryan Day does. So... I'm giving the edge to Clemson. I think it's a great coaching matchup. I think Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott versus Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley is great. I think Ryan Day, Mike Yurcich, and Kevin Wilson versus Brent Venables is great. But as, as good as Clemson has recruited, they haven't recruited as a really top three program until the last year or two. They've done a lot of this, a lot of this, by developing the 10th best recruiting class in the country into a national championship-level team. And Brent Venables talked about that. And again, I hope I get to write this story. I have too many stories to write. We all do. When you have somebody like that defensive coordinator who is in complete control of that side of the ball, you can recruit to it. You can find exactly the right guys you need. You, got, you know you need guys at this position, guys with these exact skill sets, not just where they're ranked but what they do to what you want to do as a coach. And that's where Clemson is right now. So they, I think you have to have respect. I'm not talking Ohio State down. That's how much respect I have for the way Clemson does things. And, for instance, that's not, that's not how it's been in Alabama, where Nick Saban runs through assistance like their water slipping through his, his fingers. He does not hold on to guys. Brent Venables, I think, is exactly on the right wavelength with Dabo Sweeney. He talked about that, how much he respects Dabo Sweeney as a boss and a leader and a Christian man and a, and a husband and a father and a motivator. And, and they are exactly in sync with each other. And I think that is a great luxury for any head coach when you find a coordinator on the opposite side of the ball who has the same beliefs as you because Dabo is a receivers coach by trade. When you have that, that gives you a great edge. And I think if there's an edge in this game, and I'm not sure there's an edge, I don't. I, it's, I mean, clubs. Ohio State's coaching this year has been fantastic on both sides of the ball. We've saw the difference in the defense. We don't have to talk about that. And Ryan Day calls a heck of a game. But if there is an edge, I'm going to give it to Clemson. I'm not sure there is. It might be 50-50, but if there's a 51-49, I think it's to Clemson because they're that good. All right. So I got a little pushback from my Georgia claims yesterday. 
that I would not allow Stephen to say that Ohio State is a, a level above Georgia and Oklahoma. And here's the point I want to make, because I, I got some people who are mad. I really want to know, do you dislike Ohio State? It sounded like you were suggesting Georgia had a better three years than Ohio State. Please look at a three-year record before this nonsense. I don't listen to you to continue to hear the SEC bias from the 330. Here's the thing. If you don't think, if you think I dislike Ohio State, like, honestly, you can stop listening. Right? Our numbers are good enough. If you think I dislike Ohio State, stop listening. I don't need you. Like, that's the kind of thing. I don't, I don't dislike or like Ohio State. I tell you what I think. But I'm not going to blow smoke. If you want smoke blowers, there are 400 other Ohio State podcasts you can find. Here's what I'm talking about. Gosh, I don't. Do you think I dislike Ohio State because I shoot you straight? I know 95% of you listening to this understand that that's what I do and that's what I am. But, man, it bothers me. This has always happened in my career. It's like I, I, I write a critical thing about Ohio State, and then I write a nice thing about Ohio State. And people are like, oh, you write a nice thing about Ohio State? Like, yeah. I write some critical. I write some nice. Go back in my career, a 15-year career, and balance it out. You're going to find 50-50. The last three years of the playoff, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Kirby Smart Georgia. And I don't want to get bogged down in this. Kirby Smart Georgia. This is Kirby Smart's fourth year. His first year was a transition year. So throw that out. The last three years, 17, 18, 19. Okay? Four teams make the college football playoff. You know that. But I'm going to go to six. I'm going to go to the top six in the final college football playoff rankings before bowl season. Okay? Before bowl season, because I know Georgia lost a bowl last year. And here's the other thing Georgia also, in the last three years, right now, Ohio State's 38 and 3, Georgia's 35 and 7. Two of those losses are in the SEC championship game to Alabama and to LSU. So the thing of it is, is Ohio State doesn't have to play Alabama or LSU in the Big Ten championship game. They play Northwestern, Wisconsin, Minnesota, whoever they play from the opposite division that isn't Alabama. Georgia's in in the opposite division from LSU and Alabama. So I'll tell you what, if Ohio State had to play Alabama in the conference title game every year, they would sometimes lose. Now, Georgia did beat Alabama once three years ago. I'm not saying Ohio State would never beat Alabama. I'm saying if you have to play Alabama in your conference championship game, you might get another loss or two on your record. Ohio State's 38-3. Georgia's 35-7. and seven. These are the rankings in the final college football playoff rankings before the bowls, because that's really all that matters. And again, we use bowl records sometimes to talk about which conference is better. And I don't completely blow off bowls, but it's about did you get in the playoff or not. Top six teams, so that's three years, Six spots each year, 18 total spots. Five teams took up 14 of those 18 spots, okay? Here's what I'm saying. This is why I said what I said. The last three years, Georgia has finished third, fifth, and fifth in the playoff rankings. Ohio State has finished fifth, sixth, and second. So they're basically the exact same. Oklahoma has finished second, fourth, and fourth. Clemson has finished first, second, and third. Alabama has finished fourth, first, and 13th. Missed it this year. The only other four teams that have finished within the top six of the playoff in the last three years is Wisconsin finished sixth in 2017. Notre Dame finished third last year. And this year, LSU was first and Oregon was sixth. So that's what I'm talking about. Georgia is made the playoff in the last two years, finished fifth. They were one spot out of the playoff the last two years. So don't tell me that Georgia doesn't stack up to Ohio State because they both have one playoff appearance in the last three years, and they both barely missed it the other two years. So don't give me factual incorrect information to say I dislike Ohio State. Clemson and Alabama are at the top. Ohio State, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma are next. And then there's a drop-off to everybody else, and I just told you why. 
Those five teams, 14 of the 18 top six finishes in the playoff rankings going into the bowl, which is what matters. Did you get in? 14 of the 18 the past three years. Five teams dominating that. And George is in there. All right, a couple more questions from what we asked for uh, on the 24th. Got a lot of good pod questions. We didn't get to all of them in the last podcast. Is Ohio State doomed if Justin Fields is 80% like he says from the 864? Um, no, I, I don't think they're doomed. I think they're, they're better off if he can move around a little bit. I think we, we, we covered a lot of fields. I, I wouldn't say they're doomed. Right, Justin Fields can sit. If, if I think the thing is, if you turn Justin Fields into a pocket passer, I think Ohio State can still win because I think Justin Fields can be a pocket passer. It is a great bonus. It is a great edge to Ohio State if he can get out of the pocket and make plays on the run. It is a great edge if he could be a run threat in the zone read game. But I wouldn't say doomed, right? I would try to pay attention when you guys are watching pregame shows and stuff on Saturday. Try to pay attention to how he's looking with his knee. Um, but I. I I guess in conclusion, I would say I don't think Justin Fields must be at 100% for Ohio State to win. I'll say that. From the 7-3-4, will Ohio State's receivers be able to get open? Again, they play a lot of press man. Um, I think their corners are good. I don't know if they're great. Uh, I have a lot of faith in Ohio State's route running. I really do. I have, I have a lot of faith in Ohio State's uh, ability um, to run precise routes. And I have faith in their ability to scheme up some stuff. We've seen it a lot with some of the deep shots they take out of play action. Deep shots out of the play action game have been such an important part of what they've done. Uh, Clemson has obviously seen that on film for 13 games. I still feel like it's something that can work. And, again, if Dobbins gets going, and I think he will, I think if Dobbins gets going, they will be able to hit some stuff over the top here. Tyler Taylor, Tyler Muse, their safety, um, he's a good player. He got beat in some coverage situations against Virginia when they got locked up on him. So I, I, they like their back seven. They do like their back seven a lot. Um, their back seven is not as good as Ohio State's back seven. So, and they're not as good as LSU. When they, if Ohio State wins this and if they wind up with LSU, LSU has two fantastic cover corners. That'll be quite a thing. That'll be a really interesting matchup if, if we get to that. Because we're going to spend, if we get to that, we'll spend a lot of time talking about Joe Burrow. And uh, that LSU passing game against Ohio State, obviously. Uh, but I think, I think LSU's ability to lock up and cover guys uh, might not even exceed Clemson's ability. So I do think, yes, I do. I've said it a million times this podcast, they run great routes. You watch Brian Hartline. We've gotten to watch a little bit of practice out here. You watch Brian Hartline with these guys. They're just on it, man. They're just on it. They're just precise. Woof. From the 614, it's Kenny Stabler, our guy. Is this the game where a perfect combination of pounding JK 20 to 25 times or more with Justin Fields hitting the deep ball to Olave and Wilson, could that be impossible to stop for a defense, similar to the Ohio State offense in 2014 with Ezekiel Elliott and deep ball to Devin Smith? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I hadn't seen I mean, that's basically what I just described, right? You get that. And they work that play action better than they even did back then, I think. I mean, the... You know, Zeke was on such a run. I Dobbins is not at an Ezekiel Elliott postseason 2014 level because that was as good of a stretch. Those three games, that was as good of a stretch that I think anybody's ever seen a college running back play. Um, but they can hit that over the top, and that's the one thing Clemson hasn't seen. And obviously now Brent Venables has seen it on film, but 2013 Ohio State with Braxton Miller throwing it and 2016 Ohio State with JT Barrett throwing it was not as much of a threat over the top. And so Chris Olave and, and Garrett Wilson could be really big in this game. 
right? I mean, this was, this was one of those, Olave can run some routes where he'll give you a double move and all of a sudden he's open 30 yards downfield. I think there is some opportunity for that. And so I think one of the keys early, and I think they will. I mean, I think Ohio State will get J.K. Dobbins going. And as Kenny suggests, and as we've all seen, that opens everything else up. I think that's the formula. And that's what I think will happen. I don't think Clemson's going to come out like stuff J.K. Dobbins. So I think that is the formula. I don't know that it's impossible to stop, but that's, a, that's an absolutely a way for Ohio State to score with Clemson. You score with them with pound, 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 play action over the top to Chris Olave. From the three six one, I think the keys to the game are offensive line play and tackling. Whoever does it better will win. I don't think we're a great tackling team, which has me concerned. Is this justified, and is there a remedy? So this did come up a lot on Tuesday with Greg Madison, and I think I buy this. Uh, everybody sees, and Greg Madison admits, they did not tackle well the last several games, and they're going to say that's because they were tired and that the combination of Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin in a row left them tackling not great uh at the end of that and so that's a tough slog they're not going to be tired now i think i buy that i also think depending i mean i as much as we've talked about pete warner's neck this uh this season and justifiably so um they do have some guys back there who aren't the biggest guys in the world so you have to rally to the ball i I just keep saying i think jordan fuller is just so absolutely crucial to this game i think he might be the most important guy on the Ohio State defense, depending how they decide to line up. But whatever they do, he's going to be back there a lot uh, as a last line of defense or maybe even up in the box in the run game a little bit. If they do play some two safeties and keep Josh Proctor back, and I wrote about that on Christmas Day with the Greg Madison story about whether we talked about it in the podcast in the matchup podcast last week, whether they might play two safeties more. We definitely asked Greg Madison about that. He didn't dismiss it. Uh, he wasn't going to tell us what they were going to do. But yeah, they have to tackle. It's just gonna be hard. it's gonna be hard to tackle those bigger Clemson receivers. Um, I think Okuda is a great tackler. I think Okuda is a really good tackler. Damon Arnett with a cast in his hand. I don't think that's going anywhere. Um, that's been a little bit of an issue for him, I think, at times. Um, but I think I think Okuda tackles well. Pete Warner's got to be able to tackle in space. I'm curious exactly how they deploy the linebackers. But I think if you want to chalk up a great abundance of the missed tackles the last few weeks. To being tired and worn down a little bit, I do think that's legitimate and not made up because I don't feel like it was as much of an issue early in the year, so I think that's okay. Realistically, what's your prediction after hearing everything from the 3-3? I'm not going to make a prediction, but I'm going to tell you I am the same place I've been the whole time, which is a 50-50 game. Um, I'm kind of out on predictions. I don't like... um, I was so wrong on predictions this year on the two teams that I cover that I, I feel like it affected my ability to cover them. It affected the ability of people to uh, read my coverage of them because I was wrong on a prediction. So I'm not super hyped to like do a prediction for this game, and I'm not sure I'm going to do a prediction on this game because I don't know. I'll tell you everything I think that I think matters, but I don't know what's going to happen. And I do absolutely think it could come down to the final drive. I think it could come down to one turnover. I wrote about this in the Greg Madison piece. Ohio State converts third downs at the highest rate in the country, like 57%, 54, 57, something like that, way above everybody else. Clemson's 14th in the country, around 47%. That's an extra third down. They both average about 12 third downs a game. With the percent they, they make, that's one more third down on average that Ohio State would make out of 12 than Clemson would. That absolutely could be the difference in the game. That's one more thwarted drive, one extra punt, 
one fewer scoring opportunity. That's how close I think this game can be. So we'll continue to break this down all week with our stories and our podcasts and our videos on our YouTube channel that I hope you guys are subscribed to. But I don't know if I'm going to put a number on it because if I put a number on it, it's going to be a complete and total guess. And if I did the prediction five minutes later, I might flip-flop it. That's how close I think this is. I'm pretty sure I'll have to go back and look. I'm almost pretty sure I picked Ohio State to lose three years ago to Clemson at a time when a lot of people were picking Ohio State to win. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who just close their eyes and pick Ohio State because they're Ohio State. And then when Ohio State goes 13 and now you, you know, they're geniuses. Um, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to pick Ohio State because they're the team that I cover. But I'll tell you, they absolutely can win this game. Absolutely. I don't know how Clemson's going to stop J.K. Dobbins. I absolutely think their defense might be built better than any defense in the country to handle and slow down Clemson. I'm not sure Clemson has a legitimate plan to block Chase Young. I think Ryan Day is going to dial it up in a way that they didn't dial it up three years ago when they played these guys. God, imagine if Tim Beck and Ed Warner had been good. Can we all take a moment of silence to imagine a world where Tim Beck and Ed Warner were good offensive coordinators? This would be a good spot to drop in one of the uh, commercials, too. I'm always looking for, I have to find a commercial spot at the end after I do a podcast to find a, where you can put a, a silent spot to put a commercial. And I have trouble because I don't leave a lot of silence. Kind of like the old talky talk. Um, imagine, gosh, if they had been good. Good Ed Warner. Good Tim Beck. Somebody's slamming doors behind me. Good Tim Beck. He's getting fired in Texas, by the way. It's like Texas kept him around until after signing day with B. John Robinson. They, like, demoted him, but they didn't fire him, and now I think that he's going to get fired now. I'm wrong sometimes, but I kind of like it when I'm right about guys. So I'll tell you that Ohio State absolutely has a chance. There's a lot of matchups here that I think are in Ohio State's favor. I think they're catching Clemson in a little bit of a lull. I think emotionally, intangibles, all that kind of stuff, I think it's pretty equal. Um, Clemson played a lighter schedule. The Big Ten being better than the ACC is a, is a notch for Ohio State. Credit the Big Ten for that. They've been tested more than Clemson. I would take that in this situation. Um, Justin Fields lifts them to another level. He's on equal footing with Trevor Lawrence, even if he's not 100%. The way J.K. Dobbins has played. So I, 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 I don't have a prediction, but, I, but I, am, I am becoming more convinced in my time out here that absolutely Ohio State can win, while I'm also convinced about how good Clemson is. Those, those things can both be true. So, no, I don't dislike Ohio State. I think they're good. Who has the more important role, the defensive line or the secondary from the 614? My Greg Madison story that's up at Cleveland.com talked about how important both are. Um, I think the secondary might be more important, though. They're going to give up some stuff. They've got to tackle when they give up throws. They've got to tackle guys and get them down, not let them break big stuff, and they have to make plays on the ball up in the air. There's going to be some balls in the air where T. Higgins and Justin Ross at 6'4 are going to be going up to get those, and Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade aren't that tall. They're going to have to go up and make a play. And Jordan Fuller's going to have to go sideline to sideline unless they play two safeties, and then those guys are going to have to help when the ball is in the air. Either they tackle guys as soon as they catch it, or if they're running slants and quick stuff in the middle of the field and Ohio State wants to keep Clemson in the middle of the field, they have to tackle those guys before they get going. Rally to the ball. So I think they're going to try to get the ball out of just Trevor Lawrence's hands quickly enough that, that Chase is going to have his moments, but, but 
Jeff Okuda, Sean Wade, and Damon Arnett are going to be tested 50 times in this game. Maybe they won't throw it 50 times, maybe 40 times. Tested 40 times. Chase Young's going to have six or eight chances to change the game with a sack or a strip or a deflection or get him off the field on third down. But those secondary guys are going to have to step up every snap. So I'd say they're the secondary, but I think they're up to it. From the 239. What's up with Fields talking about his injury? It's breathtaking. I'll tell you what about that. Justin Fields is an honest guy. He doesn't give us a ton of stuff sometimes because he's kind of a humble, low-key dude. He's honest, though. So if his knee hurts, I'll tell you his knee hurts. So, you know, what are you going to do? I'll roll my story idea into a question, haha, from the 843. What technique can Ohio State's secondary use to defend Clemson's tall wide receivers? Not the scheme, but actual individual technique. Anything unusual will stop the 50-50 jump ball they like to throw. Um, I don't know. I'm not a corners coach. God, I don't know this stuff. I mean, when they play some of this off coverage in the zone, they'll be able to read the ball, right? They're not going to have their back. When Ohio State played them in 2016, they played press man all the time, and Denzel Ward sometimes had his back to the ball when he's trying to go up and battle Mike Williams, who was six inches taller than him. These corners are taller than Denzel Ward. Denzel Ward's lack of height was exploited a little bit in that game, but also the press man I don't think did him any favors. The fact that they're going to go back and forth that they've done all the year between cover one man and cover three zone, Trevor Lawrence off the snap isn't going to be sure what they're playing. They'll have a chance to break on some balls and fight for some balls in the air with their eyes on the quarterback. They'll also be playing man at times and running with guys. They'll play some off coverage, some bail coverage, where you're kind of running turned next to the guy. You're not... You're like running along him sideways rather than being up pressed on him. I do think the variety in the coverage will serve them well. I thought um, as good as they were in press man three years ago and as talented as those corner works corners were, sometimes if it's press man, press man, press man, press man, and the quarterback and the receivers are that good. And again, that's Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams three years ago, two first-round picks. That can be hard no matter how good you are as a corner when that's your your coverage every snap. So the technique on the ball, I mean, a lot of that is like you got to go up, you you got to fight through the ball, right? You get your arm up and you fight through the ball. Um, and they have to be physical. And now Jeff Okuda, I think, is, is, is among as physical as any corner of eyes, as I've seen. So again, I think that, I think as, as much as anybody, and again, the statistics for the Clemson guys aren't so off the charts that they're unstoppable. They're individually in moments so good, but, T. Higgins is only like 30th in the country in receiving yards. It's a little over 1,000. Justin Ross doesn't even have that many receiving yards. It's not like there's two 1,500-yard guys. It's, it's more the physical, imposing, you know, Greg Madison, again, was talking about this, that they, they, they catch everything in their area. They're so big and physical. And Trevor Lawrence at six foot six can see over everything and really diagnose that. Greg, Greg Madison made a big deal of that, of Trevor Lawrence's height, um, and that he's just, he can really move and he can really throw on the run, but he can can also stand in a pocket and see what's going on. So that's what's going to make it hard. That's what's going to make it hard. From the 813, let's do, uh, let's do this real quick. Let's do this real quick. Uh, how many more are we going to do? Five more? Six more? Man, you have good questions. All right. Someone's taking a shot at me. Um... All right, let's run this through real quick. From the 814 from Michael, seems odd to me that Justin Fields just so openly talks about his injury like that. Seems like we never hear that as fans. Um, do you think Justin Fields is being serious and saying his knee is 80, 85%? Again, we talked about this in the last podcast. Yeah, I do think he's serious. I think he's just honest. 
God bless Justin Fields for being like an honest, real guy. How many sacks does this defense need to get for us to win from the 4-1-5? I don't think it's sacks. I think it's constant pressure. I think it's Trevor Lawrence not having time to feel comfortable back there. So don't measure it by sacks. Measure it by how many plays do you see him be completely comfortable and have all day to throw? How many times do the announcers say he has all day to throw? Because he's going to get rid of it, and he's going to escape some of it and not necessarily get sacked. But if he's not comfortable, that's what we're going to try to measure, I think, for this one. I was glad to hear this is from the 419. That last one was from the 415. From the 419, I was glad to hear 9-3 and three Doug call this a 50-50 game. Buckeyes by at least two touchdowns. Ohio State has the better offensive line, better defensive line, both of which suggest Ohio State dominates. Buckeyes have beaten at least four teams, five if you count Wisconsin's second time by double digits. Uh, that are better than anything on Clemson's 13-0 schedule. Do you really think Clemson can hang with the Buckeyes? So if you want to throw 9-3 and three in my face for you to be overconfident, go ahead. Go ahead, go, go ahead and underestimate the defending national champions who haven't lost in two years, who have a guy who's going to be a top-five pick at quarterback, who have a running back who averages eight yards a carry, who have two 6-4 receivers, who have a defensive a linebacker who's all over the place as an All-American who have probably the best defensive coordinator in college football. Go ahead and underestimate him. Feel free. If 50-50, if you think that Ohio State has an underdog in this game, if you think me saying that it's 50-50, if you think that's not enough respect for Ohio State, that's fine. Go find someone to blow smoke and tell you that Ohio State's going to win by two touchdowns. It's not going to be me. And if I'm wrong, I'll tell you I'm wrong. I was wrong about 9-3. and three. They are really good. They are really good. When you think about to have a player like Jeff Okuda in the secondary, Malik Harrison at linebacker, Chase Young on the defensive line, and then also Sean Wayne, Damon Arnett, Jordan Fuller, also Davon Hamilton, also Tyreek Smith, right? That's a great defense. They got coached up finally. They got coached up better than I ever thought they got coached up this year compared to how bad the defensive coaching was a year ago. Offensive line has played great. Somebody asked a question about blitz pickup. They give up some. They give up some. I think their offensive line's good. I'm not sure either offensive line is like stupendous. I think both offensive lines are good. But Clemson doesn't have Chase Young, man. We love to talk about from the 937. We love to talk about the potential of Ohio State tight ends despite them never seeming to be a major focus of the offense. Clemson's best defender is a linebacker, and it seems to me that they could really neutralize some of his effectiveness by forcing him to cover a receiving tight end all game. I hate myself for even letting myself consider the tight end as a major part of the offense, but I just can't help it. What are your thoughts about the offense being a little creative versus just going with their bread and butter? Um, probably not. <laughs> Again, if you want to work the middle of the field, K.J. Hill, Isaiah Simmons, they're not going to end up, I don't think he's going to not end up like covering guys a lot of the time anyway, right? They want to let him roam a little bit, get after the passer a little bit. Um, K.J. Hill is your middle-of-the-field threat. I could see K.J. Hill having a big game. K.J. Hill in the middle of the field, but I, I don't know that they're going to pull Jeremy Ruckert and, and, and Rashad Berry and Luke Farrell out of the hat and target them eight times and something like this. I wouldn't count on it. From the 615, any indication that Ohio State is going to commit to two, fully to two high, two high safeties? Stopping Clemson, Clemson screams for a 4-2-5, and it needs to be Proctor. So, yeah, so yeah, that's what the Greg Madison story was. I think they're definitely going to do it some. Greg Madison wouldn't tell us that they were going to do it a lot, 
but I think they're going to at least do it some, and I think some could be a lot. I think they could end up with only two linebackers in the field for a large chunk of the game. Let Jordan Fuller come down in the box, the second safety, act like a linebacker if they need to, but otherwise have them too deep. Have Browning, have Harrison with either Browning or Warner on the field for most of the game. You know, third and two, you see Tough Borland. Third and two, you see three linebackers. Um, but I would anticipate, I, I mean, watch when they go to the wide shot on the first snap for Ohio State's defense. See how many linebackers they have and see how many if they have one deep safety or two. But Madison talked a lot about even to get, needing to give different looks. I think they want to keep Trevor Lawrence guessing a little bit. So I think two safeties will be part of it, will be a bigger part of it than it has been at any time this year, but I don't think you'll see it every snap. From the 614, how much do you think Ohio State loses by? I don't, I don't even know what that means. What are the chances Wyatt Davis leaves after this season from the 310? Is Josh Meyer also a flight risk? If so, who may get the first crack at replacing them? We sort of like jokingly wondered this week, what if they lose all five offensive linemen? Because Jonah Jackson and Brandon Bowen are seniors. Thayer Munford's a junior. Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers are redshirt sophomores. They're all pretty good. And as much as like you're looking forward to what Justin Fields will do in 2020 with all these receivers and everything, like if they would be replacing all five offensive linemen, that would be wild. So uh, just in the press room, you know, things you're looking to do Christmas week, we were trying to guess at that. And there probably would be something. This is worst case scenario. You probably end up playing Paris Johnson as a true sophomore at left tackle. Uh, excuse me, Paris Johnson as a true freshman, top 10 national recruit at left tackle. You play Nicholas Petit Frere as a third year guy. He lost out in the right tackle job to Brandon Bowen in the preseason. Nicholas Petit Frere, five star, is your right tackle. So that's two five stars. Harry Miller, five star, is your center. And then your two guards are probably Matthew Jones and then who's like another top 100 national guy. And then I'm not sure who, maybe Gavin Cup as a veteran, maybe one of these younger guys. <clears throat> but like that would be, so I don't think it's impossible for Wyatt Davis to go. I think Wyatt Davis of the three underclassmen would be most likely. Thayer Munford has battled injuries. Um, and again, sometimes it's like, well, you battle injuries, maybe you should stay. But also if you realize your body is kind of giving out on you a little bit, maybe you want to go while the getting's good. So maybe he'd go. I'd be surprised if Myers left, but I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I was a little surprised when Michael Jordan left. So um, I certainly am not anticipating them losing all five offensive linemen. But it, for 2020, it is a little scary to think about if you let your mind wander. We'll know by mid uh, mid-January. We'll know by mid-January. I know the Clemson players and coaches all say the right thing. That said, do you get a sense that they are overly confident? It seems like they aren't taking Ohio State seriously regardless of what they say from the 813. Uh, I, I, I don't know where you would get that impression. Like Brent Venables was, was saying, like, they have the best quarterback, the best running back, the best – like everything Ohio State does offensively is the best that Clemson has faced. So Clemson – Gets a little sick of the stuff about, you know, people like me saying the ACC stinks because the ACC does stink. They get a little tired of being questioned um, about their record. But again, they're, they're, they haven't lost in two years. And so Trevor Lawrence was sort of saying, like, you know, people questioned us last year, then look what we did in the playoffs. So I don't think anything is tied. They are not um, 
I think they are 0% overlooking Ohio State. If there is any vibe of them, it is a doubt us at your own peril kind of vibe of like, we've been through this before. You thought last year we played a soft schedule and how good were we really? And we showed you. We won the national championship with a true freshman quarterback. Uh, and Trevor Lawrence was saying this week that's like, you know, people thought who he had a down year. He was saying like, I'm much better now than I was last year. People don't realize it, but I can self-evaluate. I'm a much better quarterback. And maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you didn't look at the stats the right way or understand what I was doing, but I'm way ahead of where I was a year ago. So Clemson is confident like a team um, that has done everything it can on the field to prove how good it is and still has people questioning them. And I think people do question them to some extent. It's different than 06. 06 Ohio State, not a lot of people were questioning undefeated Ohio State. And, and then Florida with Urban Meyer had that rallying cry. We've joked about this. Both teams are applying to, trying to play the doubt card, but I don't think either team is disrespecting the opponent at all. I think both teams realize how good the other team is. I mean, if you disrespect Trevor Lawrence and T. Higgins and Travis Etienne and Isaiah Simmons, or you disrespect Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins and Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, like, you're nuts. You're bonkers. But I think both teams are acting in a way of, like, Nobody believes in us, and we'll show that is wrong, regardless of the opponent. I don't think any confidence is tied to overconfidence about the opponent. I think the confidence is tied to some made-up doubts, a few legitimate doubts that people might have, but most of this is both head coaches fueling some fake doubt about two undefeated teams, when actually they're both great and everybody loves them. That's the headline of this podcast. They're both great and everybody loves them. And also, Georgia is great, too. I'm Doug Maurice. We'll have another podcast on Thursday the 26th after media day in the morning. Again, we're going to have a chance to talk to like 100 people from each team. We'll see how many of those 200 players and coaches do Nathan, Steven, and I get to. Uh, for now, thanks to you guys for listening. Make sure you're reading our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. If you have not tried the text, I got a text from somebody. that They got a free trial of the text for Christmas. 14-day free trial. Merry Christmas. I could give that to you, too. Uh, here. Here's your gift. Here's a gift to all of you listening to this. <laughs> Go to cleveland.com slash OSU. At the bottom of any Ohio State story, type in your phone number, and you can get texts from me for two weeks for free. Merry Christmas. And after that, you have to give me four bucks on your credit card. All right. Thanks, you guys. We'll see you with our next podcast on Thursday. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>